I V M. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Marbles Lost and Found. We'll be discussing various um, issues in and around mental health and mental illness. And please note though that we are not a substitute for professional mental health. We're just here to have a conversation and maybe get some people to talk about it. Yeah. And um, that was Zain. I'm Avanti. Hey, yes, and... that was Zain. That was me. <laughs> and so on the podcast, you know, we've talked about a bunch of things, but mainly we talk about being people who have, who are dealing with mental illnesses or dealing with impacts on their mental health. Right. Um, but we don't actually talk about the people who help take care of these people, help take care of us. Exactly. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We'll be talking about caregiving where, you know, there's someone who actually has to look after someone who's dealing with something or the other with regards to mental health. And to help us with that today, we have a very special guest, a friend of ours, uh, Dilshir. He's on call with us. Hello, Dilshir. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you two? <laughs> yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. So, Dilshir, um, just to kind of recap, you know, some of the things that we discussed, um, you're sort of like a caregiver for your father, right? Okay, well... I don't really characterize myself as a caregiver. It's just so he suffered from a heart attack and multiple strokes. Okay. So I consider myself a caregiver just for those four to five months after he gets out of the hospital. Right. Each time, mm-hmm. you know, help him find his wings, help him get back, you know, readjust and reorient himself to life. Mm-hmm. And then I slowly let him, you know, regain his own sense of independence and do what he needs to do. Right. That, that so, sounds like a caregiver yeah. to me. Yeah, that definitely sounds like a caregiver. <laughs> but actually, let, so, okay. let, so, let, so let's backtrack. So what exactly, you know, happened the first time? What happened? How long ago was his so, first heart attack? Okay, so he had a heart attack in September 2015. He's 64 years old. Mm-hmm. He's been a smoker his whole life. Mm-hmm. So he was actually on the golf course when he collapsed. Mm-hmm. And he didn't end up going to the hospital because he thought it was acidity. So four days later, he got a stroke. Okay. okay. So that was a bit of an ordeal. But I don't know, after seven days, we were out of the hospital. And the stroke kind of affected his comprehension and his ability mm-hmm. to understand us. Okay. So he slowly regained his speech. He slowly regained his ability to understand. You and mean through, so through, those, through rehab in the hospital? No, 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 no. Just, just talking, just like okay. slowly reorienting himself to life, you know, just talking to us. Okay. And it just takes a while for like the brain to orient itself to its new surroundings mm-hmm. post-stroke. Mm-hmm. And we just had to like talk to him every day. Our doctor gave us, you know, examples or like games to play with him, like word association and just very basic stuff like what's the opposite of this? Think of five things in this room that begin with C. Just to help him slowly, you know, get his brain back to work. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, right. Just and help him kind of regain his confidence. Okay. Because I think the most important part was that he kind of lost confidence mm-hmm. because he couldn't understand, he couldn't speak. And this is something that he kind of, I guess, we all take for granted, you know, mm-hmm. being able to speak and understand other people. So, yeah, we just kind of helped him with his communication skills. So it wasn't so bad then because we thought we were in the clear. We didn't think it would happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, this was so the first three months after this is September 2015 my okay. brother actually left in January 2016 for Bombay so it was just me by myself mm-hmm. uh, fast forward to about four months later at the end of April 2016 he got had an epileptic seizure and another stroke okay um, and this one affected him a lot more after he left the hospital he suffered post-stroke depression okay. because prior 
before this, he thought it wouldn't happen again. We all thought it wouldn't happen again. We all thought he was on, you know, he was recovering really well. He was talking. He regained his confidence. Mm -hmm. This one kind of shook him to his core. He did not think that it was going to get better. He and the doctor kind of told us, you know, it can keep happening again and again. You know, all you can really do is take your blood thinners, make sure you take your medicines and just the doctor literally said, just hope for the best and yeah. Okay. So, and just not not stress too much about anything, Mm -hmm. which is, which kind of defeats purpose. You have to stress when it's something like this. But um, yeah. How, how was he? How was he like when it happened the second time? I remember you telling me something along the lines of he didn't even want to uh, have medical treatment yeah. the second time around. He did not. He refused to go to the hospital. The hospital was a place of a huge. Uh, there, there was a lot of trauma associated with the hospital mm. because the first time he had his heart attack and stroke, he was in the emergency room for about four days. Okay. Yeah. Four and, days like, in the emergency in a room. Gosh. Yeah. So yeah. what was it? What was it like after he uh, finally was? Um, uh, he finally left the hospital. What was it like after that in the recovery so, period? Okay, so the second time. So yeah, yeah, he was just very depressed. He didn't talk that much. He kind of shut himself off from his friends, his girlfriend. He stopped going. He just, you know, just basic parts of his daily routine, like his walk. He just stopped going on his walk, and so. We had to like, um, so I had to like take care of his daily, um, you know, like stuff like paying the bills, paying the phone bills, going to the bank, stuff like that. I had to do for him while he was recovering. So he was essentially just doing nothing, which also affected him because he's always been used, he's always used to being functional. Mm -hmm. And I had to make sure, you know, he took his medicines, I had to make sure that he was eating properly, the certain food he had to avoid. That's got to like affect his his ego a little bit as well, right? Yeah. That he's a 65-year-old man who, 64-year-old man, yeah. Yeah. being taken care of by his son. Mm. And personally, it just, it's hard to see your parents when they're just going against Mm. what the doctors told them to do. He like, he just, he just, you know, refused to eat certain foods that he was supposed to. He just thought, why do I need to take medicines? I'm going to, he actually said this, I'm going to die anyway. Mm. And he just didn't like the fact that I was in- instructing him to do stuff all the time. Right. And it kind of upset me as well, because you only want what's best for your parent. Yeah, and they're acting like their own worst enemy. He'd given up hope. Yeah. He just thought it would keep happening again. And it, yeah, so that's. So well, he and, just, and he probably he probably resented you know having to take help from you because he didn't he knew he was being weak quote unquote around you exactly. he didn't want you to see him being weak you didn't want to see yeah. him being weak I didn't want to see him being weak and either. he could probably sense that and then the way he dealt with yeah. that was I'm gonna get yeah. resentful and defensive yeah. Um, yeah, he, and just you know sometimes I wasn't always the most attentive and patient mm-hmm. and you know sometimes I just I would just get angry so I'm like just take your medicines or just do that or do this and and he wouldn't take it well sure. he just said stop trying to tell me what to do mm. he in, essentially felt like a burden mm. on yeah. me yeah. right I had to like so those every sort of four months after he got the came out of the hospital the second time I had to you know curtail you know I had to like you know, Kurti, am I going out a bit just to make sure he was fine? I only sure. left the house after he was asleep at night. You know, right. I, I'd given I'd given like emergency numbers to all the ma- uh, to, to well about the emergency numbers of his financial advisor and his girlfriend to the maid in case I didn't pick up the phone. Right. So he essentially felt like he was being just watched, watched, watched. all the time, and taken care of, and you know, smothered a bit. Mm-hmm. And that was right. not my intention, but it, it was just. We, I was just, we were all on high alert, you know, what yeah. happens again. Because the, I, the second time he had a stroke, I was just, by a stroke of luck, I managed to leave work early and see him mm-hmm. because he wasn't able to comprehend 
understand me and he wasn't able to form words. Mm. So I knew it was a stroke right away and I had to like rush into the hospital. Right. And so, yeah, so, and that really affected our relationship. So this has always been my father. He's always, you know, taken care of me. And I was 24, yeah. 25, 24 at the time. time yeah. You pushed into so, like this parent figure role. Yeah. I, I was um. very, and to be honest, I was very resentful mm. of being in this role. It was, you know, it was just, it's easy to lapse into that kind of thinking, like he didn't take care of his health all these years. Mm. He smoked. He didn't do this. And now I'm having to, you know, I'm having to change to, like, my life the just to accommodate him. You know, and I just constantly compared myself to other friends who, mm. so my dad was 40 or 41 when we were born. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not the, that's, that's not usually the case. So my, well, my friends, their parents are like in their 50s now. Yeah, so they're right. still very healthy. Mm. They're still essentially like, they're still kind of being taken care of mm-hmm. by their parents. Right. You know? Yeah. In fact, and it's not in something that I had. Um, so it's, it's just me, my brother and my father. Sure. So mm. it was just, and it kind of, and I was also resentful of my brother for being away in Bombay. Yeah. Mm. You know, he said it's. Uh, I think, and honestly, I could take care of it. I could handle everything, but, but I you just felt like you were the only one having to do it. You yeah. felt yeah. like you were on your own a bit on this one. Yeah. Exactly. In yeah. Fact, in fact, like, in fact, this year actually, I want to get more into that. In fact, but we're just going to go for a quick break, and we'll talk a little bit more about how you felt in that situation. We will be okay. right back after this. Welcome back, everybody. Um, we are here with Dilshir again. Thank you, Dilshir, for being with us on the show. Thank you for having me. Yes. So just want to pick up where we left off um, uh, before the break, where you know you were talking a little bit about yourself and how you were feeling and how you were resentful. I want to kind of get into a little bit of how you took care of yourself in those situations and how you dealt with, you know, the heavy emotions that came with looking after your dad. Um, so anyone who knows me knows that I'm kind of a stickler to, for my routine. Mm-hmm. You know, I wake up, I sleep at a decent time. I make sure I get at least seven to eight hours of sleep every night. I eat a very, I make sure all three of my meals are really well balanced. I work out. I try and work out at like four, five times a week. Damn, so that's, that's kind of how I just, I guess I became just more, I just became a slave to my routine a lot mm-hmm. more. You know, I guess when you have responsibilities or something like this, just weighing at the back of your mind mm-hmm. a lot, it makes you less adventurous or mm. less less more a lot more averse to taking risks. Yeah. You know, you can't be as spontaneous. You can't just, hey, I'm gonna go to Goa for the weekend or hey, I'm just gonna go to my friend's place up in the right. hills. Yeah. Mm. So it makes you a lot less adventurous, which is fine. I felt myself becoming more I don't know. Grown up? I don't have to say this. Yeah. Grown up. Mm. Yeah, you know, I just when you're you're responsible for someone and you're accountable to them. So yeah. And I kind of also, this is so, and I kind of got used to being like that. So I kind of used my responsibilities to my father as kind of excuse for like bailing, (laughs) bailing on plans. Right. Mm. Essentially, because it was just, I was kind of, I just didn't feel like, I just didn't feel like that kind of freedom. Like I can just do this, you know, even though I guess I could, his girlfriend lived close by, you know. I, I could have done it if I wanted to, but I just, yeah, I just didn't really feel yeah. comfortable doing it. Mm. So I became a lot more, I stay, I spend, end up spending a lot more time at home. So during the weekends, during the day, I was only at home. Right. And at night, I would just, yeah, at night I would go out. Mm. Um, and I just needed, I just, I guess, yeah, I just started going out a lot at night after he was asleep. Yeah. Just to try and just get my, I don't know. Your social fix. Yeah. Yep. 
sort of felt i think for the first couple of years of being a freelancer where you know i've just been spending so much time trying to suss out you know how i'm supposed to be doing certain things if i'm doing mm-hmm. enough in order to get more work and this that and the other so yeah. in a similar fashion my ad- feeling adventurous or like going out or spontaneity yeah. just took a backseat and how like it just yeah. it's always been about you know, you want that discipline in your life or yeah. it's kind of like your stability mm. yeah. in a way like your routine it sort of justifies you know like i mean it's sort of it's a way of telling yourself like you know okay fine i've sort of got things under control you know i mm. think yeah I, it i know it also really grounds you yeah and in some ways it's good some ways it's really not good exactly. at all exactly exactly some ways it's really not good yeah, yeah. you just find yourself in a Once lull habits like really set in mhm what kind of habits yeah. what are you talking about i don't know okay so just Honestly, um, so when well, so I'm, I'm in a relationship and I'm a total Nazi when it comes to sleep. Okay. I'm sorry, sorry, I said, sorry, I said Nazi on your show, but <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. When I'm on a, on a work night, I have to I have to be in bed mm-hmm. by a certain time, like twelve thirty, like the latest, because I wake up at eight, so I need to be in bed at this time. I just yeah, and um, I get that. You know. Yeah, I get and, that. Completely. Okay, and I can't stay out too late because I have to do this and I have to work out. So I'm sorry, I can't. You know, I'm I'm leaving work, but I have to go work out first, and then I have to come meet you. It just, yeah, it's really hard to integrate someone into your life when their routine is so set. Man, man I'm laughing over here because shit, this is literally my life. The last two years, I was like, oh my god, yeah. somebody has articulated exactly how I feel mm. all the time. It's only over the last couple of months that I've learned to just kind of like let go of certain things. Yeah, but dude, this is so on. point with me like yeah. i always look for an excuse to bail on a plan i'll always be like the first person to leave and just be like oh mm. i've got to go home and sleep i've got to be up i've got to do this i may not necessarily yeah. have to do anything as such but i'm sort of justifying yeah. to myself that exactly. i am responsible that's but that's yourself. it's just your way of taking care of yourself right and if you can't take care of yourself how are you going to take care of all your other shit But exactly. sometimes, yeah, it is. But it's a double-edged you know, sword. Sometimes, you know, it feels a part of me feels selfish when I'm just so when I stick to my routine so much. Mm. But in a way, it's kind of my comfort zone. Mm. It helps me take, but you know, it helps me like tackle other problems mm-hmm. head on. You know, yeah. when I have that, you know, like that base and like I have this discipline in my life. You know, it just. I guess it just keeps me sharp. Yeah, you sure. know, I'm just like mentally stable to like mm-hmm. deal with certain things. Sure. Do you know any other caregivers? Do you know anyone else who? So I honestly, I, I haven't, but, yeah. I haven't interacted with any other care. I haven't interacted with any other caregivers my age, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I don't know anyone the same who has the same problem as me. Well, I mean, not. I'm sure people are going through the same thing, but they have, they, they have like siblings or maybe like a parent or relatives who can, who has shares the responsibility. When I'm, when I'm with my father, and those couple of months after he's out of the hospital, it's just me. Mm. So I don't really, and you know, I don't know anyone who's solely. So because I live with my father, I feel solely responsible for his happiness. Right. You know, he way he he does he doesn't doesn't leave home that much, and he only really talks to girlfriends on the phone. So he waits every day for me to come back from work, and he wants to talk to me, and he wants to engage with me, and he wants to hear everything. 
But it's hard, you know, like I've had a long day. I don't really feel like talking and mm. he doesn't really understand me that well. But I, I need to like put up a face and say, put, put up a brave face and say, you know what? Yes, this is what I did. And just try and talk. Yeah. And even if he does, and it's kind of heartbreaking, even though he doesn't really understand what I do or what, what's going through my head, he just feels good that I'm there and talking to yeah. him, you know? Yeah. It's very important for me to have meals with him, you know, make mm. sure I at least have dinner with him every it's, night. Yeah. I guess in the grander scheme of things, that is the silver lining. I mean, I can only imagine that it's tough, but at least, you know, just, I think as people just having sometimes that physical presence of just being there, maybe not necessarily exactly. saying anything that just, exactly. that, that can really, you know, at least yeah. lift people. But, you know, yeah. I, I think that's unfortunately all we have time for so far, but thankfully we did end at least on a slightly good note. Well, you know, yeah. well slightly, slightly. <laughs> I feel well heavy. Done. Yeah, I mean, heavy. <laughs> But at least, at least we talked about, you know, some of the positivity, like towards the end about, you know, what it's like when you're with your dad and how he feels, you know, when you're yeah. giving him that attention. So thank you mm-hmm. so much, Dilshare, for doing this with us. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you it. so much, guys. Thanks, Dilshare. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. was great. Thank you. It was nice to talk to some of these issues. Great. Yes. Yeah. It's always good. It's always <laughs> cathartic. Yes. And uh, thank you, listeners, for for tuning in. Uh, Please remember, you know, if you even have questions or concerns or stories that you want us to maybe discuss or talk about, please write to us at writetomarbles at gmail.com. The two is T-O, so that's writetomarbles at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. And thank you so much for tuning in. I've been Zane. Avanti. And Dilshir, thank you again. Thank you. Signing off. Bye.